It's a powerful truth that Jesus is risen. The reason why we stand here week after week, the reason why we sing the songs we sing, the reason why any of that matters is because Jesus is alive. Amen. The book of Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read from verse 19 to verse 25. When you got it, say so. And it says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us <clears throat> through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the reminder of the power of your resurrection. Thank you for the reminder of the power that there is in your name. We thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. We thank you, God, because we can come, we can worship, we can exalt, we can glorify your name, knowing, Lord God, that you engage with us. Thank you for the precious invitation to come into your presence. And this morning we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that you would captivate our minds, that we would hear what you are saying to your church. And I ask you, God, to glorify yourself, not only in the preaching of your word, but in the hearing of it and in the doing of it, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hands and the ushers will get you an outline. Uh, we're starting a new series today, The Promise Keeper, and I uh, want to make sure that you're able to start along with us. And as always, we want to encourage you to take notes. We want to encourage you to answer the questions that are within the outlines and meditate on those answers. And then, and then above all things is that you would commit to making disciples and that you would utilize this outline as a tool to not only bring to your remembrance what you heard on Sunday morning, but also that you would use this as a tool to go on ahead and help someone else grow in their faith, right? That this, that, that this word that you're hearing wouldn't just stay with you. That's going to be my challenge at the end um, as an action step is that you would share this with someone else um, throughout this whole series. That's my hope. But I just want you to know that people need to know that God is faithful, People need to know this. They need to know that God is faithful, that despite the fact that people around them may not be faithful, despite the fact that people may let them down, despite the fact that you may fail them, God will not. People need to know that, right? I mean, politicians are going to fail them, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, if you look at your outline there, um, each of us has had a different experience with promises made that were either broken or kept, right? Like, we've all had those experiences. I mean, as a kid, I know that, you know, growing up, everyone in this room has had some experience, whether positive or negative, right? Of someone who said they were going to do something, they promised something, and they did it, or someone who promised something, and they didn't do it, and that person kept making promises, and they kept not doing 
doing it, and it was devastating, right? And so some of us, we took too long to figure out, you know, that person's just never going to make, you know, good on their promises. And, and, and when we look at this reality, the reality is this, is that we learn this one thing, a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise, a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. Hence the video that we looked at, which is reminding us that Jesus rose again, which shows us that God is a faithful promiser. That's what we're going to talk about today, the promiser. We'll deal with that. We're going to deal with the promiser in the first, in the first point, second point as well, and throughout. But the, but, but the reality is we have to know that God is a faithful promiser. And so I want you to think about this. God's promises are rooted in his character, revealed in his son and they can be trusted. God's promises are rooted in his character. They are revealed in his son and they can be trusted. That's a beautiful truth for us to consider. God's, God's promises are not outside of who he is. When God makes a promise, as you read through the book of Hebrews, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but when you read through the book of Hebrews, you find that God made a promise, and when he made a promise to Abraham, he couldn't make a promise on anyone else's word. He couldn't promise because of anyone that was greater, so he had to make a promise based upon who he was based upon who he is. And so when God makes a promise, he tells you what he can do, which is good for us too, right? When we're going to make a promise, we should be like, hey, I can do this, right? We shouldn't make promises or, you know, or promise things that we're not going to be able to fulfill. Like, hey, I'm going to be able to come and help you move on such and such a day when you're moving and then we don't show up. Hello. Right? Oh, listen, I got a moving truck, I got all this and that, and then we don't show up, right? I can do A, B, C, and D. Well, that's a bad promise, but the beauty of God is that when he makes a promise, his promise is rooted in his character. But not only is his promise rooted in his character, but it is revealed in his son. You see, when you look at the book of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. It's such a powerful book. I really encourage you to spend time reading through the book of Hebrews. Uh, one thing that I will tell you about the book of Hebrews, for you to really understand Hebrews, you have to understand Leviticus. You have to understand the old covenant because what Hebrews does from the beginning is it begins to expound on who Jesus is and how great of a promisor he is. You should also read the book of Genesis and know about this guy named Melchizedek and that way you can can have some context when you look at how Jesus is a high priest according to that order. But the thing that Hebrews does is it unpacks for us and it reveals to us and it shows us that God's promise that he made of a savior came true in his son. And that Jesus fulfilled all of these promises which showed us what? It showed us that God is a faithful promiser. God promises something and he brings to pass what he's going to promise. Therefore, it shows us that we can trust his promises. We can stand firm and for the next few weeks, we're going to deal with some specific promises that God has made to us as believers under the new covenant. See, because we get confused sometimes, right, when we, when we think about promises, right? And you think about what has God promised? What has God declared? And you have people, right, and we talk about this all the time, where they are quoting um, promises 
things that really are not pertaining to them and yet they're holding on to them or they are proclaiming promises that aren't in the context the way that they should be, right? A promise or something that is said and that isn't really what God meant by that. And so what I want to do is I want to clear up some stuff, right? And I'm not going to, you know, go and try to figure out every single bad application to every promise. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that we establish what God has promised for us. And not every single promise, right? Not every single promise am I going to look at because we don't have time to do that. But we will go through some promises that, that I believe are very important for us as believers as we're growing and our relationship with God. And so if I could give you a big idea throughout this whole thing, it would be this, this thought right here that we give is that God's promises are rooted in his character. That God's promises are revealed in his son and that they can be trusted throughout this whole series remembering that his promises are rooted in his character 100% and so we want to we want to remember that if God promises it he can do it if God promises it he can bring it to pass if God said yes he means yes if God said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. That's why, listen, I believe 100%. The Bible teaches me that, listen, we prophecy, you know, prophesying, God's speaking today. God does that today, 100%. But you know what? You and I need to be really sure that it is God who is speaking because if it is not God who is speaking, we can't bank on what is being said. Are you here? Right? We got a lot of people out there, they're profiteering in there, making money off of, you know, giving thus says the Lord's and stuff like that. And they're not necessarily speaking on behalf of God. When God speaks something, listen, I want you to think about this. When God speaks, right, things happen. I mean, think about it, right? In the beginning, God spoke and guess what? Light came. That's what happened, right? God spoke and all of a sudden vegetation started growing. God spoke and, you know, the expanses started, you know, things started, started separating, you know, the earth and the air and the waters, all this stuff started. When God spoke, things like that happened, right? That's what God does when he speaks. And so we got to be careful to know what he's saying to us because when God makes a promise, you know what he's saying? I said it to you. I'm going to bring it to pass. God's word is accompanied by God's power. So keep that in mind. And so here's the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say God's promises. I'm sorry. God's promise of his presence is guaranteed by Jesus' sacrifice. God's promise of his presence is guaranteed by Jesus' sacrifice. Look at verses 19 to verse 22 with me really quickly. Let's just refresh there. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... And so he's, he starts off here. I want you to, I want to, I want to, I want to pause here as we walk through this because I want you to know what's happening throughout the book of Hebrews. As I said, God has been communicating to us and the writer of the book of Hebrews. We're not sure who the author is, but we know who the inspirer is. What I mean by that is we don't know which apostle or prophet wrote the book of Hebrews for sure. There's a bunch of assumptions that are there, but what we know is that God inspired the writing of this particular book. The spirit of God breathed life into this book. And, and as I was saying earlier, the preeminence of Jesus is being expounded on in this book. There, The writer is making sure that the, that they specifically, the Hebrew believers, that's the reason why the, name, the, book, the, the book is called Hebrews, he's making sure that the Hebrew believers understand that Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system that they had been part of, that they have been accustomed to, that they had been trusting in up until this time. And so 
he's communicated to them some powerful truths about who Jesus is. And then chapter 10, it transitions us and it brings us into this place where we enter into the application of what we've learned. You guys remember when we went through the book of Ephesians, when we went through the book of Colossians, right? We talked about something called indicatives and imperatives, right? You remember those two, two terms that I love? I love those two terms, right? So the indicatives, just as a refresher, right? The indicatives, these are the things that God has already done, right? These are the indications that are there based on what God has done through his son. And so these are things that apply to us as believers. We're not working for them. Jesus did them, right? So Jesus rose. That's an indicative, right? Jesus died in our place. His blood cleanses us. We now have access into God's presence. All of those are indicatives, right? Those are things that we don't have to work towards. Then the imperatives come, right? So the imperatives are what I and you are responsible for. And what should happen is when we understand the, the indicatives, right? We understand everything that Jesus has done. We understand every loving thing that God has done toward us. What should automatically flow is that now that we have all of this knowledge of the goodness, of the love, of the grace, of the power, of the gospel, once we're reminded of all of that truth, there's something that should happen, and it's that we should start to live for the glory of God. So now these imperatives begin to come into our lives. In other words, these are the things that you and I are responsible for. These are the things that you and I are called to do. And so the writer of this book begins to expound on some of those practical applications in the outworking of this sacrificial system. And specifically what he does is he starts off saying, therefore, right, having boldness to enter into the holiest. And so the first thing he does is he gives us a promise and this promise is God's presence this first promise that we come across in the scriptures is God's presence right it's an invitation to enter into the presence of God it's not the same as Jesus saying and lo I'm with you until the end of the age in the book of Matthew chapter 28 it's not the same promise where God says that God will never leave you nor forsake you this is a different promise this is a promise about us having access to the presence of almighty God and so we have this invitation and so he's says this, he says, by a new and living way in verse 20, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. So listen, right now what we just read there, this unpacks almost everything that the book of Hebrews has been talking about up until this point. And it is this, that we have now have access into the presence of God, that we have access because of a new and living way, right? Not an old way, the old way was through blood through the blood of goats and the blood of bulls and the blood of rams that was the old way that you entered in and not only and and no and you and I nobody could just enter in it was one group of people and one specific person a year one time a year was able to enter into the holy of holies it was one guy the high priest that was it and so what the writer is saying here for us is, listen, there's this new way that has been made for all of us to enter into the presence of God through the veil, right? This veil that was there, there was a veil that was in between the, holy, the, the holiest and then the holy of holies, two different areas, right? And so that there was this veil, but the veil was really the flesh of Jesus that was torn for us and having this high priest over the house of God. And so now there is this eternal high priest who is Jesus, that's who the Bible is talking about here. He says in verse 22, let us draw near. I love that. 
Let us, not let some of you, let us, let all of us draw near, right? Let all of us enter into the presence of God. Let all of us enter beyond that veil that was there. Let all of us enter in because of the veil that was torn, which was Jesus. Let all of us enter into the presence of Almighty God. But he says this with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, Jesus, this is what, it, what, what happens here. What happens is now we all have access into the presence of Almighty God. This is beautiful. We all have access into the presence of Almighty God. No longer do you have to say, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? You know why? Because you can pray for yourself. No longer do you have to come to a man and confess your sins and that way they can absolve you because you can come. We're going to talk about that promise in a later, in a later message here. But you can come directly to God and ask for forgiveness yourself and then experience that forgiveness, which is what the writer is letting us know. When he talks about coming with a true heart, right, with this pure heart, he's saying, look, there's something that happened. On the cross of Jesus Christ, there is something that happened by the blood of Jesus that now gives us access into the presence of God. But it begins with this thing, and it's called faith. It's faith in Jesus, right? And so I know you guys know what faith is, but I, I just want to expound on it a little bit. When we talk about what it means to put faith in Jesus, it means to believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus, right? It means to believe that Jesus lived the way the Bible says he lived. It means to believe that Jesus died the way the Bible says he died. It means to believe that Jesus rose the way the Bible says he rose. It means to believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father like the Bible says that he is now. It means to believe that Jesus is returning for us someday the way that the Bible says. That is what it means to put your faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus... And there's one component, which is what the video talked about. It is the resurrection. You know why we can believe everything the Bible says about Jesus? I'm going to tell you why. It is because the resurrection is a fact. It is because the resurrection is a fact. And if you don't believe me, you can go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you can look at the argument that the apostle Paul makes. He makes it crystal clear. If Jesus didn't rise, then we are still in our sins. This is what Paul says. He makes it crystal clear. Everything that we believe banks on one thing, one fact, and it is the fact that Jesus rose again. The reason we can believe all of these things is because Jesus really did rise. See, that's where our faith is built. That's where our faith is put. It's not by our perfect understanding of every single book from Genesis to Revelation. It is by one thing that will build our faith and everything else, and it's that Jesus rose again. He rose again, and because he rose again, our faith is not futile. Our faith is not in vain. Our faith is full. Because what? Because we know that he rose, therefore we can trust every other thing that he said. Because you know what we know? We know that the Old Testament was pointing to him. That's what it was. And everything else is pointing us to who It's pointing us to this person, Jesus, this real historic figure that lived, that rose, that, that, that did everything that the scriptures communicate. And so we are told to do what? To come to God with confidence. To come to him with confidence because what? This is an invitation. It's an invitation by a faithful God who did what he said he's going to do. To come with a true heart. To come with a clear conscience. See, here's the thing. In the old covenant, those sacrifices didn't cleanse anyone's conscience. 
Those sacrifices appeased you for the moment, but they didn't cleanse your conscience. They didn't remove the sting of sin. See, when you have put your faith in Jesus and what he did, you know what happens? The sting of sin is removed. You know why? Because you know where your faith is. You're no longer walking in condemnation over sin. You're no longer walking in condemnation over your shortcomings. You are walking in a full assurance. You are walking in a complete trust in what Jesus has done. And he says to come with pure bodies. You know what the writer is trying to say? He's trying to say that the sacrifice of Jesus is complete and it makes us complete to enter into God's presence. See, here's what happened. Under the old covenant, men made themselves ready for God's presence. How? They had to cleanse themselves with certain water. They had to anoint themselves with certain oil. They had to go through all of this process in order to prepare themselves to get into the presence of God. Can I tell you what happens under the new covenant? Under the new covenant, the power of the gospel makes us ready for God's presence. The power of the sacrifice of Jesus makes us ready for God's presence, makes us right to enter in to God's presence. See, that for me is a great promise. That for me is a great security. It's a great encouragement that God's presence is accessible, not because of my perfection. I can never make myself holy enough. I can never make myself righteous enough. What should happen is because of my faith in what Jesus has done, because of my faith in the finished work of Christ, I should want to live a life that is more holy. I should want to live a life that is more separated from sin, not because I'm trying to gain God's approval, but because I know I already have God's favor. See, that is what should be happening in our lives. But God's power is what prepares us for God's presence. And so my question here is, have you, have you trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus to make you worthy to enter into God's presence? In other words, have you put your faith in Jesus? That's the first question, because I don't know. Have you really trusted Christ, right? Have you put your faith in him? And here's the other thing. If you say yes to that first question, let me ask you this. Are you still trusting the sacrifice of Jesus. Because you know what's real easy to happen? What's real easy to happen is that you get it in your head like, hey, you know, Jesus forgave me. I'm invited into his presence. But then suddenly I start trusting in my own righteousness to get into God's presence. I start trusting in my own ability to get into God's presence. And I start to think, well, man, when I have a bad day, God doesn't want me in his presence. I think God wants me in his presence on my bad day the most. Hello. Right? He wants me in his presence on that day the most so he can make me more like him so he can address me because on my good days, I might think I don't really need him. On my good days, I start thinking, well, I'm already like him, so I'm good to go, right? On my good days, I, I, I can easily walk in my own righteousness. So the question is, A, have you trusted Christ? Two, or B, is are you trusting Christ? Because we got to do that. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is say God's faithfulness should produce unwavering hope in Jesus' sacrifice. God's faithfulness should produce unwavering hope in Jesus' sacrifice. Look at verse 23. And this is, the, this is what I would call the memory verse. You know, I feel like th this is so short. I don't even want to make it a memory verse because you could memorize this before you even walk out of service. Amen. Um, you could. It's, it's, really, it's a really similar. But this is the key verse for this entire series. And so look at this verse. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. That second part is so big. For he who promised is faithful. The promiser. 
He is faithful, right? And so what happens is God's faithfulness should produce unwavering hope in Jesus' sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus, what is he saying here? The writer is telling us, he's telling the, 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 the Hebrew believers, he's telling them, hold fast the confession of your hope. Hold fast to that confession. Don't let go of it. You see, because what I want you to understand is that they were struggling, right? They were going through persecution as the first church was. They were experiencing doubts in their faith. They were wondering if, if, if you know, man, it, it, should I continue suffering for this sacrifice of Jesus or should I just go back to the old system? Because here's what happens. If they go back to the old system, if they renounce Jesus, guess what? They're good with everyone. If they go on ahead and they renounce their faith in Christ, if they say, you know what, I, I made a confession one day, you know, I got really serious about this thing, I got a little radical, you know, but, but, but here's the thing, you know what, I'm going to just go back to the way that I was. I'm going to go back into trusting this old system, which is what they were forced to, or, or they were facing as a temptation. It sounds a lot like us, does it not? Right? Like, like we come to Jesus and we make a commitment to Christ and, 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 and we're radical, right? And we're not doing this and we're not doing that and we're not doing the next thing, right? And, 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 and there's like this major transformation that takes place and then we're, we're, we're faced, at some point, we're faced with the option, man, what about if I just tone it down a little bit, Right? What, what, what about if I just tone it down a bit? What about if I just make my commitment to Jesus not so vocal? What about if I lower my standards a little bit? Man, then, then people will accept me, right? Then people will not be rejecting of me. But here's the thing. Are you in that point, are you then holding fast to your confession? Are you holding? Because you know what? We, the writer is saying here, listen, don't try to go back to the way you used to be. Stick to who you believe in now. You see, because here's when we talk about hope. The sacrifice of Jesus gives us a present hope of our relationship with God. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we know that we can do what? We can enter into the presence of God. It gives us hope of God's involvement in our lives. How about that one? That God is involved. That's the hope that we have. That even when we don't see his involvement, we know that he promises to be involved in our lives. It gives us hope that the sacrifice of Jesus is enough and it is all that is necessary for this life. Life and the life to come. That's a beautiful thing. God gives us this hope of who he is. We must come to know the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus, which demonstrates to us what? God's faithfulness. But here's what I want you to understand. We must also come to know God's faithfulness by being in God's presence. See, when, when, I, when I think about this reality, too many believers waver in their hope because they're depending on past experiences with God instead of a present relationship with God. You see, too many believers, they, 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 they have a moment, right? And I can tell you this from being a person who's had experiences with God. I can tell you this from being a youth pastor, watching people have experiences with God. I can tell you this from being a lead pastor of a church, seeing people experience God and have moments where, man, God is real. God is everything. God is so awesome, so amazing. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like this person's faith, or, you know, in, in, in some cases, even my faith, it just Expands, you know, it just it, it just starts to be inflated like a balloon, you know. And so all of a sudden you see this great, grand commitment and devotion, and wow, God is so awesome, and you see it so clearly, and then it's like suddenly it's like this little like diffusing of this balloon. 
And all, you know, you, you ever had a balloon, you, 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 you ever seen like a balloon, especially those that, you know, they, they, they have the helium in them, right? And, and you look at them, you first buy them, and they're like super strong and stern, and then you let them hang out for a little while, and all of a sudden, they start to get like flimsy, right? And, 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 you know, they start to be wobbly and they, they, don't, they don't hang up anymore, right? They don't, they, don't, they don't float in the sky anymore. You know, actually we, have a, we actually have a helium balloon, believe it or not. This thing has been up since we bought our house. It's just so high, I don't feel like going to get the thing. It's just like up there. It hasn't come down. I don't know. It's amazing. But nonetheless, it's, 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 it's an anomaly, right? That's what it is. But the reality is usually, but even in that, if you go touch the thing, it's not puffy like it used to be. It's flatter than it was before. And so the reality is that's what can happen to us if we're depending on yesterday's experiences, last year's experiences. Listen, God does not want you to know him from an experience you had yesterday. He wants you to walk with him in intimacy every day. Listen, it doesn't mean that every day you're going to feel something. It doesn't mean every day is going to be like that high mountaintop Moses glory moment, right? Like that doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that as you constantly and consistently enter into the presence of God, you know what you start experiencing? You start experiencing God more and more and you start to trust in his faithfulness. You don't waver in your hope because what? Because you're walking with someone. You see, when you don't walk with someone for a while, you know what you start to do? Well, I don't know if they still feel that way. I don't know if they still think that way, right? And so at one moment, you're like, you walk out of church, you're like, yes, God loves me. Yes, I'm his beloved son. Yes, I'm his beloved daughter. Yes, and you feel amazing, and you know it deep down in your soul. And then trial number one hits you on Monday or Tuesday, and you're like, man, does he love me? Man, I don't know. And then, you know, you go throughout the week and you're experiencing stuff. Man, does he really care about me, right? Is, is, he, really, is he really thinking about me? Am I really, you know, like you, you start going through this stuff. But if you're walking with him daily, right, it's, it's so beautiful to walk with him daily. Because when those struggles come, man, I question the struggle, not the one I'm walking with. Right? It's like walking with your husband or your wife, you know? It's like when you walk with them, you know who they are. You know that you guys are together. You know you, you know where they stand because you're walking with them. But don't talk to them for a week. Hello. Right? Or don't talk to them about that really difficult situation or whatever you're facing. And you know what you start doing? You start guessing, like, well, I wonder, I don't know, how do they feel? What do they think about that? Like, what is it? What is the real feeling, you know? And you start to look at her, and all of a sudden you start measuring stuff by looks instead of communication. Same thing with our relationship with God. We have to have that commitment there. And so, again, are you spending time in the presence of God being assured of who he is and what his promises are toward you? Are you doing that? Because if you're not, you're not going you're, you're gonna to be wavering in your hope instead of trusting that he who promises faithful. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our hope in Jesus, is, Jesus promised return must affect how we relate with one another. Our hope in Jesus' promised return must affect how we relate with one another. It must affect how we deal with one another. And I'm going to wrap this point up here as we look at this. And he says this in verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want to read that again. And let us consider one another. Let us think about one another. 
Let us have our minds about one another. Let us, listen, you don't consider one another if you don't pray for each other. You know, when you're in the presence of God, you need to be praying for one another. Right? I always say this in our Core Connect life groups. Look, at minimum, you need to be praying for those people that you're in Core Connect with, right? You need to be praying for them because if you're praying for them, at least you're considering them. At least your mind is on them. You're thinking about them, right? So praying for them. But are we considering one another? Are we looking at each other? Are, are, we, are we thinking? Or do you just, are, is it just about you? Let's, let's think about that for a moment. Is it just about you? Is it just about your faith? right? Is it just about your walk with Jesus or do you consider others, right? Like when was the last time you called somebody you were considering? How about that? Let's talk about that, right? When was the last time you said, just think about it. When was the last time you text a brother or a sister in here saying, hey, thinking about you? How about that? Let's think about that. How about this? Let's go a little bit deeper because I know you might have not called, you might have not text. When was the last time you really, like really, don't lie now, I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I'm just telling you, just think about this. When was the last time that you were by yourself and you thought about someone else? You thought about a brother or sister in this place, right? Now, listen, I had that happen to me this morning in my time of worship. You know, I was praying and worshiping, and I wasn't thinking of anybody in this particular church, but I was thinking about someone who lost their wife a little bit ago as I was listening to a song, and I was like, man, you know, I just said, man, I'm going to send this song to that brother because I just want to encourage him, let him know I'm thinking about him. But here's the thing. I didn't send the text out, but I asked you that question because if you are being honest and you're sitting there and you're like, man, when was the last time that I thought about someone? That's terrible, man. You need to repent. Like, when was the last time I text someone and was like, hey, how are you? Like, that's bad. Like, I mean, how, how, are, you, how are you obeying the scriptures? How are you honoring what God says in his word if you're not considering one another? Well, let's see what else he says about this consideration. He says, let us consider one another in order to do what? In order to stir up love and good works. Here's the beauty. Because Jesus is returning, because we're looking forward to his return, you know what I should do? I should love you and I should want to stir you up to good works. Right? I should want to stir you up to love others. I should want to stir your faith, right? Like that's what should be happening, to stir up love, right? To stir up good works because Jesus is coming and so we should be walking in love and we should be walking in the good works that God is calling us to. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 25. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Look, this is a really important verse for some of you because some of you, number one, you struggle with gathering together with brothers and sisters. Right? Some of you, you know people that are like, I love Jesus, but man, I don't really care about going to church. I don't need to go to church. Are you here? I'm just keeping it real, right? And the Bible has the antidote to that. That's not okay. The, the, the writer here is saying, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And look what he says, as is the manner of some. You know why? Because since way back in the day, people have been doing the same stuff. They get offended, they don't want to come to church. They get bothered, they don't want to come to church. Things get difficult, nah, man, I'm not going to go to church. Or you know what, in our day, this is our context today, we'll find another church. That's just the reality. I mean, that's just where we are today. And listen, I'm telling you this because I know the feeling. Are you here? I just can't leave because I'm the bishop. I'm just kidding. 
Listen, right? If, 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 you know, we, I mean, think, listen, I know how offended. I, I can tell, I can tell you, now I can talk about this. Then I couldn't talk about this. I remember being in ministry in church. I remember being, not, not here, you know, here it's been, it's, it's a little bit different. And I, and I, I'm being honest, like I, I get offended and I get hurt and it's difficult sometimes, but I, but I had like, I mean, a long time, like months where I was coming to church and I couldn't worship because there was someone who was standing in the vicinity of me that I had a fence in my heart toward, that I was bothered with. And I could, and listen, when I would try to worship, you know, and, and, and my pastor, every Sunday, every, we didn't do communion every Sunday. We did communion the first Sunday of every month. And my pastor, every single Sunday, he would always say, if you're offended with someone, so I'm just confessing to you right now, I thank God he didn't kill me. Hello. I thank God that he, he didn't allow me to get sick because he was merciful because there were some times <clears throat> that I was partaking of communion in a, in a manner that was unworthy and just hurting in my heart. But you know what Paul says? Paul says, consider one another. Stir one another to love and to good works. Don't forsake the gathering of the, of the brethren, as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another, exhorting them, right? I love this word exhorting because it's the word, the, the, the word there that, that, that deals with this whole exhortation thing is a word parakaleo, right? Parakaleo in the Greek. And what it, what it means is it means to come beside, right? It means to come beside in a, in a manner of comfort, encouragement, exhortation. The reason why I love the word is not because I love that word so much, but it's because in the, in the gospel of John, Jesus is speaking about the helper that is coming. And you know what that word is? That is the word parakletos, right? Or the one that comes beside. You know what? I, you know why I love this word? Because I realized something. That when we faithfully gather and when we faithfully exhort one another, you know what we do? We join the Holy Spirit in coming beside people to help them fulfill God's purpose. That's what we do. When we gather together, when we stir one another up to love, when we stir one another up to good works, when we encourage and exhort one another, what we're doing is we're joining in God's work of doing what? Of building the faith of others, strengthening the faith of others, and so much the more. Why? Because we're looking at the return of Jesus. Listen, when we look around our world, do you see the return of Jesus? He's coming. It's getting worse, right? The, the time is at hand. And so as we look forward, what should we be doing? We should be coming beside one another, encouraging one another to do what? To love, to good works, to continuing to serve Jesus. And so here's my closing question for you. Do you live your life like God keeps his promises? Do you live your life like God keeps his promises? It's about the promiser. He promised us if we come to his presence, he's gonna, he, he invites us in. Are you living your life as though he is a faithful promiser? First of all, like I said earlier, I don't know where you're at. You may be in here, you haven't put your faith in Jesus. And so here's my question. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you're still in danger of judgment, my question is why? What is holding you back from putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? And the other part of my question for you is, are you willing to put in the legwork and to do the homework to either prove or disprove whatever you're struggling with? 
Listen, we have leaders here in this church. If you're struggling with an area of your, of your faith, you're struggling in an area where you're like, man, I don't know about this or that. Listen, I invite you. Reach out to one of our leaders. Make sure that you contact us and that we can sit down with you. Don't just sit there and be in doubt world and, and not allow God to deal with you, right? Get an answer. Don't just Google it. Are you here? Because you may find the wrong answers on Google, right? You, you might. Not everything on the Internet is true. You know that, right? Okay. <laughs> not every video you watch either is accurate. Anyway, that's a whole other thing, right? People edit stuff, right? Anyway, the second thing is if you are a believer in Jesus, are you faithfully following Jesus, entering into his presence, standing firm in your hope for him, committed to his church, looking forward to his return? So that's a bunch of stuff there, right? But that's what we just talked about. So are you faithfully following Jesus? Are you, first of all, entering into his presence? Listen, if you're not entering into his presence, I don't expect you to do anything else after that. Right? Because if you are not entering into the presence of God, you're not going to stand firm in your hope. You're going to waver like the wind, right? You're going to be like, like Florida weather. Hello, somebody. Right? Predictable but unpredictable. Right? That's how you're going to be. But if you're entering into the presence of God, you may still struggle. Because I can tell you this, that story I told you about where I was struggling to worship, I was entering into the presence of God on my own. Right? I was faithful praying, but I was hurting, man. I was going through something, and those things happened. And, and there was just some issues that were there. And you know what? I thank God today that, I'm, that, I am, that, I am, that I'm better because of that, right? I've learned how to deal with that. I've learned that that's just sometimes part of life. Sometimes we're going through stuff, and we have to worship through the pain. I mean, that's just a reality. But you know why? Because I can stand firm in my hope in Christ. I can stand firm that he's in work, that he's at work, right? I, I can stand firm until he leads me or directs me on what I'm supposed to do, right? And I know it's not forsaking the gathering together of my brothers and sisters, and so we got to do that. And so my last thing is this. Here's my challenge. My challenge is to you, number one, is that you would begin to commit. And so if you're looking at how do I apply everything we talked about, the first thing I would say is this, is commit to spending time in God's presence. Listen, I'm not going to hold your hand through this. Nobody's going to hold your hand through this. I can hold you accountable if you want. But the reality is, are you going to spend time in God's presence? That's my challenge, number one. Spend time in the presence of God, meditating on who God is and on his promises. And the other thing is this, and share what you're meditating on with someone else. So don't just, so my challenge isn't just, hey, go hang out with Jesus. My challenge is hang out with Jesus and then go tell someone about it. And listen, at this point, I don't care if it's a believer or a non-believer. That doesn't matter to me. I'm asking you to be faithful to share your meditation on who God is, your understanding of who God is, to share that with someone else so that way their life can be impacted and their faith can be built. Amen? So I stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you because we know that you are a good loving, gracious, faithful God. And today, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we ask you, Holy Spirit, move in our lives. Do in us what only you can do. We ask you, God, that you would remove whatever barriers there are to our faith, to our hope, to our relationship with you, God. Whatever hinders us, from standing firm, whatever hinders us from growing in our faith, whatever hinders us from walking in the fullness of who you are, God, remove those things. Heal brokenness in hearts. Remove barriers, remove doubts, Lord God. Break walls down. Lord, I know what it's like to walk around with a bitterness, with an unforgiveness, with an unresolved issue in my heart. 
And so I would assume there's some in this place that are walking around the same way. I pray that you would heal those broken areas, that you would give wisdom to deal with all those scenarios and those situations, God. Direct us that we may walk in a greater unity, encouraging one another, building each other's faith, loving one another, considering each other, walking beside each other, Lord God, as you continue to fulfill your purposes in us. God, thank you for being a faithful promiser. Use us for your glory and for your honor. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.